When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we had a very special guest on The Speech Dude. So if you haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, stop, go listen, and then come back. And today, we're so excited because it is our very first Where to Work episode, which means we are bringing you interviews from all the SLP friends we have from Instagram and from our lives to tell you a little bit about their different settings. So on this first episode, part one of where to work, we are going to be talking to an SLP that works in a skilled nursing facility, in acute care setting, in home health, and then in outpatient peds. So next we have Amanda Weisberg and she is an acute care setting SLP. So we're really excited to talk with her. Amanda, thank you for being on here. Of course. Thank you so much. I'm just so excited to be here and honored. You guys want to hear a little bit from me and my SLP journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So can you start by telling us kind of how you got in the acute care setting as an SLP? Yeah, so when I was a student in grad school, I had an externship in a hospital, as well as I advocated for some medical observerships. One was a three month one at Georgetown and then other ones, you know, just sporadically throughout LA, different hospitals. And through that, I was able to gain sort of that indirect and indirect experience. Um, And then once I graduated, I did my clinical fellowship or CF in a skilled nursing facility or a SNF. And then on weekends, I worked in acute care, carrying over from my externship, actually. So that was a nice segue that I was able to create that experience from my externship leading into my clinical fellowship, which ultimately after I received my C's, then I began to work as a acute care speech pathologist. Um, I would say full-time, but I worked three days a week. It's nice plush life, but that's so nice. <laughs> that that is nice. That's what we all wish for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in my own world, it was full-time, but yeah. uh, it was a little different in the medical setting. So. Right. Definitely. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite aspects about working in the setting that you work? Yeah. So in acute care, everything is just so fast paced. You know, I go to work and I never see the same thing and I don't even really see the same people. And especially now I work PRN or per diem, meaning as needed, um, that can look different, whether that's a little sporadic when the hospital needs you or more of a set schedule, kind of like what I have. But like I said, I go into work and I see new people, new diagnoses, um, you know, whether that's dysphagia for swallowing or aphasia, TBI, you know, I'm always on my toes and always having to kind of think on the spot, but that's what I love most about it. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face being um, in that setting? 
definitely staying on top of the evolving research and evolving ways, you know, and also just because you're taught a certain way, I've unfortunately had to learn that it's not always the most evidence supported or evidence-based way or patient-centered way. And that's something that's been my own growing pains. Um, so in the medical world, it's something as simple as I thought thickening liquids bedside because it seemed better. You know, someone didn't cough. So, okay, great. Mm -hmm. Now I know better. Now I know about silent aspiration, advocating for instrumentals. So I, I think the hardest part is just staying on top of the research, staying on top of what the evidence is showing us. Um, because just like in any medical setting, whether you're a cardiologist to a pulmonologist to us, you know, it's, it's changing every day. So if we're not on top of it, then we're not providing that best care to our patients. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like, and this is kind of a question that we don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position. We tell, we've told our interviewees, just share whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, but do you feel like you're compensated fairly? So I think, you know, like salary and, um, just benefits in general are something that is really important going in for going into your CF or going into your first job anywhere. So, um, you don't have to be like terribly specific, but just overall, do you feel like you're well compensated for in your setting? Yeah, it's funny. So compensated fairly. So it's, it's funny that fairly word, because mm -hmm. do I feel like I'm getting paid what other speech pathologists are getting paid in my area? Yes, I do. You know, do I think it's appropriate for our field? No, I don't. And it's a topic that I've talked to a lot of colleagues about. And it's something that I feel like we need to change starting with our CF. You know, we're coming out of grad school. We're so excited to just make money. We're all in this field for the most part to help people. So here you are, philanthropic people who is mostly a field of women, right? You know, being lowballed offers and we accept it. Cause it's, we're all comparing to having no salary or babysitting or whatever it is. <laughs> so it's like, Oh, that sounds great. Um, but in actuality, you know, I think to anybody listening, even if you are a CF or you are a slippa or whatever you are, don't downplay that and never accept your first offer. And so as per DM, it works a little differently. So I do get paid hourly and I don't get benefits but I do get paid more hourly because of that and because of the as needed basis. Right. So that's what works well for my family and I, cause I get benefits through my husband. Right. But that is something financially I think about, right? If I worked part-time, I'd be getting paid less for the same amount of work, which right. is kind of wild to think about. Um, if anyone also listening, I will put a little plug to one of my friends, Sarah Newman. She has an account today I learned MedSLP. And she has some great posts about advocating and, you know, talking about salary and hourly and what that can look like. And as per diem, sometimes I'll ask something like, is there any CEU compensation or, you know, do you provide CEUs to the whole team and staff? Um, so it doesn't always look like dollars, but I will say getting multiple offers does help in your benefit as well. Definitely. So lots of people want you and don't be scared to use them against each other as well. <laughs> I think that's so important because you're right. Like as a baby SLP, that's just coming out of grad school. You just want to take what you can get and you want a job and you're ready to make money. And it's just like, 
okay, you see the number and you're like, okay, whatever, that must be it. Especially when they give you like a graph and they give you justification for this many years of experience you have and everything. And I think that's a really important point to make is that you should ask questions, you should challenge it and you should be paid what you're worth. Yeah. And I think your wording really matters too, you know, saying I expected this amount, not is this negotiable? Do you think I could get this? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not, you know, can, is this negotiable? Cause they're going to say no. Right. I was expecting X amount opens up in a discussion of, okay, well then let's talk about why you expect, or, right. you know, I expect this amount because although yes, I'm coming out of grad school, you know, I have MBSM, I have this clinic experience. I, you know, do X, Y, Z. I, you know, so those yeah. are all, you know, don't downplay what you got. You got to flaunt it. That was a fantastic answer. And honestly, that's kind of where we were going with that, because I feel like lately the conversation surrounding salary and compensation feels very taboo, but more and more people are talking about it, which I think is super important. And that kind of leads into um, our last question for you, which is, do you have any advice that you would like to give for someone who's interested in working in the setting that you're in? Yeah. So I I think two things, actually. One thing is you need to be prepared coming out of grad school. As much as any other setting, you're going to feel like you know nothing. Going into acute care, you actually do know nothing. That's okay. You know, we've all been there. Even the experts have been there. But I'm saying that because be prepared to be a self-investor and a lifelong learner. And we all are as SLPs. But the CEUs that we constantly have to take to stay on top of things. Like I said, it, it, the research is always changing. Right. So if we aren't ahead of it, that's going to not, you know, allow us to work at the top of our license. But personally, I did not like school. Who loves school, right? Yeah. But when you graduate, you get to take classes about things that you like. So any dysphagia course, I am there, I am signing up for it and I'm excited about it. So, you know, don't be scared if you are in grad school or school listening to this either, because it's learning in a more organic way, but you just need to know it it doesn't stop. Um, And the second thing is, is I feel like this setting takes a lot of heart and also a lot of guarding of your heart. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot different to see and comprehend what it's like to counsel families Um, it's not even always about the patient, but canceling families really at the end of life, hard decisions, you may be the ones to tell them that they may not be able to eat by mouth either for a while, maybe ever communicate with loved ones. You know, the patient's crying because they can't say their name or say, I love you. And, um, I think that's something to navigate as you are a new clinician. And I think you know, when you come out of grad school, you're also entering into this other state of your adulthood, really, you know, you're, you're blossoming into adults. So it's like, you're navigating your own personal way of counseling and trying to navigate it into this medical setting. So, you know, be patient with yourself. That skill will grow in time and definitely seek out mentors, multiple mentors in different area, not just your CF mentor, not just teachers, but people outside of that, maybe people outside of your state, um, just to give you different perspectives and take a little bit of everyone. I love that. That's such good advice. Thank you so much. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully it can help people out there. It's all things that I wish I heard, you Absolutely. know, back in the day, right. but <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but right. No, we, that. we appreciate your expertise so much. And if you guys want to find Amanda, she is on um, Instagram as the met, the millennial med millennial med SLP. Sorry, I almost got it wrong. Millennial med SLP. And she makes some really great videos and content. So definitely check her out, especially if you're interested in the medical field. So thank you so much, Amanda. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for doing this to kind of shine a light on all the different settings because everyone is just doing amazing work out there, no matter what setting you're in. And I'm just so glad that we could all support each other in that. So thank you for providing that platform too. Thank you. So next we have a really good friend of ours from grad school, Jenny Hale. Jenny, thanks for being on the show with us. You're so welcome. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here. Yay. We're (laughs) so excited to have you. Um, Jenny works in a skilled nursing facility, so she will be our expert in that area. Definitely. So can you start with um, telling us how you got to be an SLP in a SNF? Yeah, so I had always kind of known that I wanted to work with the adult population. In grad school, I had talked to some of the um, advisors about, uh, you know, being placed in either a skilled nursing facility or a hospital, and they had kind of determined that maybe I would benefit from a, a skilled nursing facility more. And so the skilled nursing facility I work at right now is actually the one that I did my graduate externship in. And it just kind of felt right. And I've been there, it'll be three years in August. So, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And I know that you had a couple other places before you got there as like your long-term <laughs> job. So that's cool too, that you ended up at the place you actually externed in. Yeah. So can you tell us some of your favorite aspects about where you work? Some of your favorite things? Um, so I have to be honest, I have some of the best coworkers in the whole wide world. Um, my supervisor in graduate school, who was like my main mentor, she and I have become very, very good friends along with the other two SLPs that work there right now. So working with them is honestly the best part of my job. Other than that, I just really, really like the elderly population. I think that they're so wise. They have so much life experience to bring to the table and Truthfully, getting somebody who has had a stroke or is NPO and being able to give them quality of life is very, very rewarding. Definitely. And I love the, they, I feel like, I mean, this is obviously a generalization, but they surprise you with the things that they say, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I feel like they always kind of keep you on your toes. So on the flip side of that, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges of being an SLP working in a skilled nursing facility? Um, I think that one thing I see that um, a lot of other settings have, but may not hone in on as much as the productivity standards. So being as productive as possible throughout the day. Um, obviously, that's how they receive payment is based on the amount of services pr- we provide um, throughout the hours that we're working. So um, where I work, and I know a lot of other people can relate to that, the productivity standards are really, really a priority. And the our upper management is super supportive, but also does remind us very frequently, like, yes, we really want you to help as many people as possible, but do keep in mind that the productivity standards are very important. Um, on top of that, I think it's really, really difficult when you get to the, the situations when there's somebody who's swallow, you cannot fully rehab to mm-hmm. um, be able to tolerate PO intake. 
and having that discussion with family and or, you know, they want your opinion a lot of times. Do you think hospice is appropriate? Where do you think we're at? So being there for them during end of life decisions and um, helping them kind of facilitate what's going to be best for their family member can be really tough. So you have to kind of not only use your clinical skills, but also your empathy to try to help them make the best decision possible. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's something I know that personally I would struggle with. So I'm obviously on like the way other end of the spectrum working with like the really littles. Um, So I feel like the end of life conversations and stuff like that. I mean, I've experienced that personally with like family members and stuff and that's very challenging. So I give you props for that because that I would struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jenny, and however much extent you want to share, do you feel like you are compensated fairly? Cause I think this is the biggest, um, question, especially for new grads that are coming into the field and looking at their different settings. Um, how, what can you say as far as compensation in a sniff? Um, I would say in my personal opinion, I feel as though I'm compensated well, but, um, I do every student I have always ask what's a good pay. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really important to kind of not take into consideration what the PRN people are making. Cause I know that sometimes that gets confusing because the PRN people aren't offered benefits and things like that. So their hourly rate is just based on them coming in and kind of filling the holes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to discuss like actual like dollar values or what would be beneficial? If you feel comfortable. Um, so Within a skilled nursing facility as a CFY, I think getting offered, you know, anything over like $30 an hour would probably be an appropriate amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, You are a lot of times able to negotiate. I used to work at Promatica and they do not negotiate at all. So a lot of skilled nursing facility companies, um, they do allow for some negotiation. So I would kind of, you know, weigh the pros and cons, kind of see what the benefits that the company has, if it's worth, you know, negotiating and seeing if maybe you could get a dollar more or $2 more. And also asking, I know that the company I work for, once you get your C's, they increase your pay. So ask if that's Mm -hmm. an option too. Once I get my certification, will I see a pay increase? Yeah. And that's for sure going to depend on like where you live, obviously to like what state you live in. So Jenny lives in Ohio. So that would be like, what that would be for. But yeah, I think it's important for us to talk about salary and money. Like I know it's kind of awkward in a way, but especially for going into the career, like you got to know, you got to hear from somewhere. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point about the PRN, because I personally would never know that, that Mm -hmm. like comparatively, you know, it may seem inflated one or the other may seem inflated, but the like benefits and that aspect of it, that's a good thing to take Mm -hmm. into consideration. Yeah. So in like Toledo, Ohio area, the standard is like $50 an hour for PRN, but you are not going to be paid $50 an hour as a full-time employee. So just keep that in mind. Those big numbers, I think, draw people in. And then maybe once they sign on for like a full-time, they find that that's not entirely accurate. Mm -hmm. So Jenny, I guess to wrap things up, what is um, a piece of advice or a couple of pieces of advice? pieces of advice that you would give for someone who's interested in being an SLP in the current setting that you're in? Um, I definitely tell people who, even my students who have had in the past, um, go where your heart is. If you don't feel like you will enjoy working with the elderly people, um, I think that that's definitely something to consider. I know as a CF, there's a lot of difficulty sometimes finding a job and you just want to take the first that's available. But 
I think it's worth holding out for something that you truly enjoy um, because you spend a lot of time at work. And so it's really important to enjoy what you do. And I also, on the flip side of that, encourage you to challenge yourself. If you have a desire to work with adults, don't let the thought of being in a quote unquote nursing home scare you because um, we turn a lot of beds at my facility and we rehab a lot of people. So I see a lot of people who come in very debilitated and still get to go home. No, we're not a typical inpatient rehab facility, but not every nursing home, you know, you'll walk in and only see long-term care people, you'll, you'll still get your rehab experience and be able to help a lot of people. So I would just say, keep an open mind um, as well as once you kind of get into the, and I know where I work, it's a team approach. Um, never be afraid to just kind of jump in because even though your skill set is with an SLP, your experience kind of goes beyond that. So anything you can do to help. I love that. That's great advice. Thank you, Jenny. No problem. Next, we have Rachel Musial, who we are so excited to have on the show to talk about her expertise area in home health as an SLP. So Rachel, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. I love giving SLPs a little taste of everything. So I think it's really great that you're showcasing how fluid this field can be. Definitely. So can you just start by telling us how you got into the setting that you're in? Yeah, for sure. So after undergrad and grad school and all that, I always knew I wanted to do peds, but wasn't exactly sure which route to take. And I did take a CFY position in the schools and learned a lot, but I was really missing some more parent education piece. And so when I moved to Denver, I decided to take a position in a home health company. And so currently I'm doing birth to 18 um, and doing one-on-one sessions basically in the home involving the parents as well. I love that. You get kind of across the span of yes. childhood anyway. That's awesome. So yes. what are what are some of your favorite aspects, I guess, about working in the area that you do? Yeah, for me, so I'm the big sister of, of two younger siblings and they both received speech therapy. And I remember my mom just being like, I just want to feel like there's someone on my team. There's someone in my corner that recognizes what we want and can highlight that. Mm-hmm. And so what I love about home health is that it's making the families and their needs a priority and making it functional and adaptable. So what was such a draw to me in that field is that as cool as it was to see all of these gains being made with my kiddos, they would go home and parents would feel lost or they maybe wouldn't see the progress I was seeing. So I noticed when I was in there working with them as a partner and having them facilitate and try new things, the carryover and the success rate just skyrocketed. Yeah. And the other nice thing about that too, just because Claire and I both do private practice and at least for my private practice, I go to a lot of houses and you're in their setting. So you see the materials you have, you see what they have access to, you see kind of like how their day functions. And it's so, it's easier, at least for me to be able to relate like real life therapy activities to that once you're in that environment. Yeah. And I feel like it's not as overwhelming. Like I always tell parents, speech should never be an extra. It should be an and, Mm -hmm. right? Anything you're doing 
you can add speech facilitation language therapies into that. So I feel like it's so much less overwhelming to be like, no mom, like bath time is a speech opportunity. Here's how, here's how we do it. Exactly. So I guess on the flip side, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face then being in that setting? For sure. I think the, the biggest thing is sometimes there's just a lot of distractions. A lot of these kids are not single, you know, kid homes. There's brothers, sisters, cousins. So sometimes it may be a little bit distracting when there's other things going on. And I've noticed that the most important thing is I just like to talk to parents about creating a therapeutic environment right? and never making them feel like they're not doing enough, but working with the things that are going on. So I think I've had to really work to walk the line of not coming down on a parent, but noticing things that may be a barrier and talking through them together. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me is shifting my language and ensuring that I'm always putting the parents' needs first. And I'm, I'm always thanking them just for advocating and showing up because they don't have to show up. You know, sometimes right. they maybe won't answer the door or won't come to the session. And unfortunately, the only one that suffers is them. So it's trying to create like a natural sense of buy-in of them wanting my support. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like, and you can answer this however you feel comfortable, um, do you feel like you are compensated fairly in the area of home health? Yeah, I will say I feel very lucky with my compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, When I did move to Denver, I started in the schools here. And unfortunately, at the time, we had lost our family home. And so my mom, brother, and sister were living with me in a one-bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. And I could not pay the bills on a school-based salary. And I had to quit halfway through the year and it broke my heart because I loved the kids. Yeah. The money I couldn't pay my, like I couldn't pay for food. So then when I went to home health, I saw just such a big difference in making more flexibility, working harder when I wanted to taking time off when I needed to. And I feel as though I have a lot more security now in my job with that. Yeah. And Rachel and I just did an episode actually on, um, with salary advancement, but we talk a lot about how SLPs in the school system are just, and it's, it's teachers too. It's not just SLPs, but unfortunately the compensation is just not where you need it to be a lot of the time where people can live comfortably. So that's, that's unfortunate. And I wish it wasn't that way. Yeah. And there's also like no incentive, like everyone's on a salary schedule, right? So even if your families are saying, this person is changing my life. Mm-hmm. There's no way to argue a case for more money. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh my God, how are we going to retain these individuals when the field is getting more and more and more involved? Exactly. There has to be a change somewhere. <laughs> and I feel like this is something that people are really starting to talk about more, right? Because salary and money used to be like taboo and no one wanted to, but something that I've been seeing a lot, um, and like in the Instagram world is that if you like Google average salary of an SLP, it's like 95. <laughs> so that, right. Which is like, yeah, uh-huh. so ridiculous. yeah like, right. Hey, oh, the first year out of grad school, yeah. 10 years, like, what do you mean? Right. When, who is making that kind of money? I yeah. want to know. So then I'm sure SLPs or excuse me, CFs come out, right. And they get their first offer and like, yes, getting a job offer is so exciting, but then you see the number and you're like, so wait a second, how do I get to the number 
that I've been thinking of all of this time, like during the grad school struggles, right? Yeah. And like taking on all that extra work, it's really a a balancing game, juggling game you have to play. Mm -hmm. And, you know, money is just a tool. I don't think it's a good or a bad thing, but when you're in a place where you feel as though so many other things are restraining you, Mm -hmm. it's nice to not have money. Be one of those things. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. So I guess to wrap this up, um, what advice would you have for someone that's looking to go into the home health SLP world? Yeah, I think just first, the first thing is understand it takes time to start to build up your caseload because you have to start realizing, okay, maybe you're driving. Like I have been telemedicine for a long time now with COVID, Mm -hmm. but pre-COVID I was driving. And so You have to work with the families, your schedule, timing, and you might know that it might take two, three, a month, you know, weeks or so to build you up to where you want to be. So don't be discouraged by that, but know that it might take some time. And also that, you know, I think the biggest shift is that we always want to bring like fun toys and cute worksheets. And again, we have to say, if we weren't here, could mom, could dad, could grandma, could they still do what we want them to do with what they have? And so you have to kind of take back like the pretty cutesy side of things sometimes to make it more applicable and more user-friendly. So it's kind of like, yeah, we love the stickers and the fun and, (laughs) you know, but is it necessary? Maybe not. Yeah. So that was a a lesson for me to learn because I am the one that loved all of those things for a long time. And I started realizing like, wait, like I can read the same book over and over and I could use their bath toys and their clothes in their closet. Oh, we could practice dressing and eating. And so there's so many things that we don't think of materials. And also we spend our money sometimes too much on those things and we don't need to. Me, that's me all the time. (laughs) Oh my God, it's so bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's fun. You're like, oh, I could, and then- the kids just want you. They want your attention, their love. And that is the biggest thing you can give them. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's such good advice. Um, and if our listeners want to find Rachel, she is on Instagram as at connections with Rach. And she has some really inspiring posts, not just for SLPs, but I think for mental health in general. And we really appreciate following you, Rachel. We have for a while, and I think you have such good content out there. So thank you so much for being here and for just sharing your expertise with the world. It's great. Of course. It's awesome. I think it's so great that more and more SLPs that are starting out are sharing our knowledge, right? In grad school, it was all competition, competition, and you get out and you're like, we're just all going through this together. So I just, anytime we can be collaborative and like get things in one place so that some people can maybe learn lessons that they didn't have to go the hard way to learn like we did. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks, Rachel. So our next guest is our very own Claire from the Let's Talk About Sweet podcast, and she is here to talk to us about her experiences working as an SLP in the outpatient pediatric setting. Yeah, so I currently, I should be honest, I currently work in a university clinic, um, but it's basically an outpatient clinic because we see people for the same amounts of time in the same way. Billing is the same. Um, I mean, obviously there's differences 
minor, but I would consider an outpatient clinic. Um, so I'm just going to continue to talk about that. And then I previously worked in an outpatient peds clinic. Awesome. So can you start by telling us how you got into that setting? Yeah. So honestly, I, the first SLP I ever observed was in outpatient peds and I was obsessed. It was like my dream job. I wanted to get there. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I started in a school, which was great too. I loved being in the school. Um, but I just, I knew that I wanted a more clinical based setting. So I got that about two years into my career as an SLP, I was able to actually get a job at the outpatient pediatric center that I observed at, which was awesome because it meant I worked with the SLP I observed. And, um, it was, it was just so cool. I loved it. That's very like full circle. It is. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. So what are some of your favorite aspects about working in that setting? Yeah. So I think I like it because it's so individualized and you're able to see the, you're able to see your children for the amount of time that they either deserve or that you can give them because a lot of insurance companies, depending on the diagnosis diagnostic code will give you more visits and you can always kind of push for more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when I was an outpatient peds at my previous setting, um, or my previous job, we saw most of our clients for 30 minutes, some of them 60, most were 30 minutes though. And now I see them for 50 minutes. So mm-hmm. let me tell you what I think is the best. <laughs> I think the sweet spot is like the 50 minute marker. Um, I don't think 30 minutes is enough. So for some of those kids, if I could go back and time, I would like start seeing them twice a week because I think you get a lot more done that way, um, in short bursts of time, but you can dictate that, which is awesome. And that's what I felt like I liked more than being in the school was that I felt like I had more control over my caseload. I had more control over what I was doing, how I was doing it. Um, and just kind of managing my schedule in that way. And all of your kids are in slots. So, again, the schedule wise, that was, that was better for me than where I was previously. Um, and I love that you see the parents every time because they drop off the kid or they come in with the child and you see them every time. So you get to talk to them every time. That is huge. It is. Yeah. It's really big. So I guess on the flip side of that, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced in that setting? So I think, especially when I was in my previous outpatient peds clinic, um, productivity was really hard. Um, they drove that home so much. And I know that there's a lot of hospital-based clinics, outpatient and inpatient that really drill on that. And it's very real and it is very hard and you feel a lot of pressure from it. Um, I will say nothing bad ever really comes from, if you don't meet productivity, you just feel the pressure and you feel like you have to hit this number. And that's not what it's about, right? It's about servicing the kids. So I didn't like that. I felt that pressure, um, to hit this number. And I didn't like that it was putting a number on my clients or my therapy, because again, that's not what it's about. So that was probably the biggest challenge and the biggest downside. Um, but other than that, I I think that's probably my biggest complaint. And as anyone will tell you, the paperwork doesn't stop. Like, even though you're in an outpatient clinic, um, you go there, maybe thinking you'll have less and you pretty much have the same amount because you have (laughs) more and you still, you're doing progress notes. You're doing the evals, you're doing more evaluations probably because kids come in and out quicker. Whereas in a school, they're there all the time, Mm -hmm. but kids cycle through quicker in outpatient. So you're doing more evaluations. Um, so you still have a lot of paperwork. 
I knew you were going to say the compensation just because I remember like discussing that when you were in that setting and you're yeah. like, I am back to back to back to yep. back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They, that's, that's another thing. That's one of my other struggles with half hour. If I can say real quick, mm-hmm. um, when I was in the previous place I worked, we were right back to back to back to back and then lunch. Okay. Got an, got an hour for lunch was great, but then back <laughs> to back to back to back. Like there was no transition time. So I would end with my client at eight 30 and then I would start another client at nine. It was insane. You guys, mm-hmm. I don't know how I did it because now I see clients on the 50 minute marker at the mm-hmm. hour. So I have my first client at nine. I see them until nine 50. Then I have my next client at 10. It is so much more manageable mm-hmm. because there's turnover time. And I don't know how I did it before. That was really hard. <laughs> at least you have that 10 minutes is like a yeah, buffer to exactly. like, right. Like new materials, exactly. get your game face on for whatever yeah. the plan is. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so do you feel like you have been compensated fairly? Um, I know you can kind of talk about this in both of the mm-hmm. settings that yeah. relate to that. Yeah. So I definitely do. And in both of the outpatient settings that I've been in, I definitely feel I was compensated. Um, I think most outpatient clinics or hospital settings, you will be paid hourly versus salary. I guess I can't speak for it all, but just from what I know about it, many you are because you're looking at productivity, right? So you're paid on the hours that you're working. So I will say that, um, from an hour going from a salary to an hourly was a little hard. It was, it's very different. Um, but you'll hear me say in Rachel, when we do Rachel's talk that it really still, you're still making a similar hourly wage that you would in the school. So it's just, it's just, you're working more hours. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I was very happy with how I was compensated and where I am now, I think I'm compensated even more because they help me pay for more CEUs and eventually they'll help me pay for once I'm there a year, which I'll be there a year in about a month, which is Um, crazy. That I know, I know (laughs) it was so fast. Right. Um, so yeah, once you're there a year, they, they start helping you pay for your license and, um, stuff that big, big expenses that are just nice to have covered from the people. And it's how it should be from the people Mm -hmm. that hired you and who you're working for. You need to be licensed to work there. So it makes sense. But, um, yeah, I have always been happy with where I've worked and how I was compensated. So question just in that hourly situation, if you Mm -hmm. had a no show, were you not paid? So no, uh, or was, uh, I was paid. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I answered that question kind of funny, but Um, we were, we were very pressured to clock out when we had a no show or when we had like a block of time. Mm -hmm. However, I kind of put my foot down. I lived on the edge a little bit and I was like, no, I'm doing paperwork. I am doing things. So I, I was one of the troublemakers that was like, I'm doing paperwork. I'm staying clocked in, but there were some very rule followers. I Mm -hmm. think that would clock in and out when they had like a half hour, no show. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, it's not like we had to, it was just more so how is your productivity looking for the week? And if it's Mm -hmm. looking really bad, maybe you should clock out for a little bit, but, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's really fair to do that. If you're doing work, that's ridiculous. Listen, there's always paperwork. Exactly. There's always things to be done. Yeah. (laughs) So I guess, um, just as a final wrap up, is there any advice that you would give for someone who's interested in working in that setting? Yeah. So I think that if you like, feeling the fast pace. You like having a lot of variety in your clients. I think being 
in outpatient gave me so much variety. I will say the school did as well, but again, I just saw so many, I saw traumatic brain injuries. I saw, um, feeding and I, I saw a lot of different types of clients that I felt like I never saw in the school. So I think you get a lot of variety. Um, and that's my biggest kind of push for the outpatient is if you want that fast pace and want that variety. Um, and I guess my advice would just be to kind of like everyone's been saying, just go for it. If that's what you want and you can't get it right away for your CF, for example, take a job in a school to get yourself some experience. That's what I did. I, there wasn't an opening and I said, okay. So I started at a school and it gave me experience with children and it gave me experience treating. And then I was able to get to that next spot when something opened up. So I think in general, my advice is even if you don't get your dream job right away, it's okay. You have like 40 years that you're going to be working (laughs) and you're going to get your dream job, but you have to get experience for it for some time. So, um, just work hard and do well by yourself and, um, you'll get there. Definitely. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.